The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 104 of the Underdog NBA show. For the second time this week, uh, I am Tyler Laurie and I am back as always. We are back, myself and my co-host, Zandrick Ellison. Calling uh, on his cell phone because I think he's road tripping to the bubble. Is that right, Zan? I wish I was talking about it. I would love to be in the bubble, not only to watch the games. I would just love like to be in an all-inclusive resort, village, city, whatever they got going on there. It doesn't seem so bad to me. No, I there's like I don't know how to say this without just being an idiot. Like this is going to be the dumbest comment I've ever made on this show, which is a lot. But like the bubble is awesome. Like. The basketball is pretty good. Like Thursday night last week, Lakers, Clippers, and Jazz Pelicans was like a little sloppy. And since then, like, has, there's been like one dud game, right? Like, there's been one kind of blowout. And then, I mean, the Clippers. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I imagine it's just now. I'm gonna make a dumb comment on top of yours. Let's just double down. Um, two of my other hobbies, like I like uh, movies and TV, and. That's why I don't really feel badly for these players. Because, look, look, if you're making a movie, let's say you're making John Wick 4, they, like, fly you to, like, Czechoslovakia, and you're, like, holed up in a hotel with, like, your crew of, like, 50 people. And that's all you do is make the movie, make the movie, you know, six days a week, seven days a week. So it becomes your life. Um, but at least you're intensely focused on the job. And I, and I feel like there's a, there's a version of that here where it's, like, all they have to do all day is hang out and play basketball and talk basketball and you see your opponent across the pool. I think that's really cool. No, I, I agree with that. We talked about it a little bit in terms of like the whole street fighter, like we're going to handle this on the courts. Like all you get to do is play basketball. You have nothing else to really worry about. And it's, it's shown that so far. I, I was worried that the intensity of the games would not be great you know and, and I think when we saw the Pelicans like very clearly like mail in their first two games not not really mail in right. that's, that's very unfair to say to the guys that played but like just like they weren't super interested but like the Spurs like they're trying to get that ninth seed and that eighth seed Portland's very clearly trying to get the eighth seed and then Phoenix a team that we didn't we haven't talked about Phoenix at all like I, I think we made a joke about them but like Phoenix is 3-0 in the bubble as of us recording on when this – we're recording this on Wednesday. They play Indiana, who's also 3-0, who we were very down on as well on Thursday night. But, like, Phoenix is only, like, two and a half back of that spot as well. So, in the West, I mean, teams are trying to get to that spot, which is something that we were concerned about. And and the Pelicans beat Memphis on uh, – Right. So, like well, – and, and for every – for every team like Phoenix, you see like a Washington who's not yes. trying. But <laughs> they're not trying. I, but <laughs> I agree. Trying. Like, you know, even the announcers, I was watching Portland, Houston, and the announcers were saying, like, hey, this feels like a playoff game, the intensity. Um, and I'm surprised they hit that level so quickly. I yeah. thought it would take them a few games to like rev up. You know, and but, also, um, Zan, with no home court advantage, 
Like, it clearly matters for seeding just based on who you play, right? But in the West, like, we knew that the seven seed was, like, pretty much going to be locked into Dallas. And now it's, like, almost 100%. I think it's, like, 99%. But, like, Houston's trying to get the three seed. Like, they, they want to be seeded as high as possible. And it's very interesting. And, and I get it. Like, that just means you play the Clippers in the second round. I, I think they might be better off as the four seed, just as we've talked. But, like they're trying and jockeying for seeding like Indiana. Like I thought there was a chance that with no Sabonis and like a, a, a gimpy Oladipo, like Indiana would just come in and just be like, yeah, you know, we'll play all of a sudden TJ Warren gets 53 against the Sixers on Friday night. And then like, or Saturday night, excuse me. And then like, now it's the biggest deal ever. If Indy's three and O they're uh, a full game and a half ahead of the 76ers in the five spot. And, like, that throws a whole wrench into the playoffs, right? Because then the Sixers end up playing the Celtics. Right. Indy, who's clearly pretty dangerous at the moment, if TJ Warren keeps, you know, shooting. I mean, he scored 119 points in his first three games, man. It's, he's averaging, like, 1.65 points per shot. It's insane. But, like, I'm impressed with those teams. I mean, I mean like, Brooklyn beat Milwaukee on Tuesday. And, yeah, I understand that Milwaukee sat Giannis and Middleton in the second half. But still, like, it'd be very easy for Brooklyn to just be like, oh, forget it. Like, we don't care to play. And they're, they're out right. there. Well, you know what it, it kind of reminded me of. I think there's some tie-in between Phoenix and Indiana in a few ways. Um, the first is just the idea that we thought they would be left for dead. And, and maybe there's a, an element of addition by subtraction here. I think certainly with Phoenix. Like, look, like, they dumped T.J. Warren. They paid to get rid of him, basically, because they thought, hey, we don't really need him. He's an empty calorie scorer. That might have been a mistake. But the guy they replaced him with, you know, in the lineup at least, is Kelly Oubre, who's similar, I think, right? I mean, he's, he gets his stats. He's, I think he averaged 18 points this year. Um, but he's not a great, you know, team guy. He's not a great ball mover. He's not a great defender. And they played without him for the last, three games and they're three and oh and i don't think that's a coincidence because now you're playing guys who are better shooters maybe and you know lower usage guys like cam johnson who i like and then with indiana sabonis has been out and he's he's their maybe their best player this season but i you could wonder like look how great was sabonis for them this year um i'm not saying they're better off without him i'm just saying his stats might have been better than his impact because if you look at his Advanced stats, he kind of grades as like a neutral player. And meanwhile, his raw stats are he's putting up, you know, five assists a game and, you know, 12 rebounds a game. But I don't know. I don't know if that two big lineup was really in their best interest all year long and that they've been rolling with. And maybe it opens up some things for TJ Warren, who's been so good. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I can't imagine the amount of times if we went back and actually counted that we said that Indiana was like a joke in the bubble, right? Like, you know, Oladipo originally wasn't going to play. Now, you know, he's playing. Sponis gets hurt and leaves. Jeremy Lamb's injured, like, and we were just like, yeah, you know, Indiana's good, but like, who really cares? And then I think this is a good point. Like, I, I don't anticipate TJ Warren shooting, you know, seventy percent from the field for the rest of his time in the bubble. Like, he's he is the all-time leading August scorer in the NBA, so that that's kind of impressive for him at the moment. But I do think that this is not not to always bring it to like Houston, but I do think like teams occasionally like instead of being thoughtful or like I, I would say like analytically inclined to be like hey what's the best style of play with the players that we have or and, and that's fine right you have Sabonis you have Miles Turner you want to play them both or being like you know what like the ceiling on this particular style of play is not championship 
So then what do we need to do to kind of open up who our team is? And I think that what we're going to see, Indiana, I would say, I think has a lower ceiling. I mean, if TJ Warren just scores 40 a game for the rest of his career, then obviously I'm an idiot. But I think that like with Phoenix, for example, they are starting to sort of realize like, hey, we need high level perimeter defenders, right? So there's your Mikhail Bridges. We need to kind of make DeAndre Ayton more of a stretch big. And then at some point they're going to have to get Devin Booker to defend. But like, you could see Phoenix as a team that's ready to win next year if they continue to play this style. And I don't think that a three-game sample, including a great win over the Clippers on uh, Wednesday, on Tuesday when Devin Booker had a buzzer beater that was an incredibly tough shot, I don't want to take too much out of it. But I do think that like, if you look at Phoenix and you look at the young talent that they have and you kind right. of look at how their roster's built, if some guys take some jumps, and like I said, at some point, Devin Booker has to defend. If he's not going to defend, they'll never be as good as they can be, and he'll never be more than like a top 20 player in the NBA. But if they're able to get that buy-in, they're able to get more from Aiton as a stretch big, they're able to get a little bit more defensively from Aiton because he is a tremendous offensive player, you can look at a team like Phoenix and be like, man, like they're not that far from being no. a right. And, and by the time he, by the time people hear this, they maybe lose four in a row and then – they're rolling no, this is either going to go up tonight, which is Wednesday, or tomorrow morning, which is Thursday. So we're, we're, our rhetoric is that it's Wednesday currently because it should go right. up tonight. But, but I agree with you. If you want to say Phoenix is more real than not in terms of being, let's say, a 500 team, because you have to remember a few things. One, like Aiton missed a lot of time this year. He was suspended. Yeah. I think he only played like 30 games, 40 games. Um, and then in general, like you look at the advanced stats on this, like, they were awful the last couple of years. They were, like, the worst team in the NBA. And under Monty Williams, and you add Ricky Rubio, and they're basically, like, a top 20 team now, and that, that might not sound like any great shakes, but that's a big improvement in one year to go it from, is. like, the 30th best team to 20. Um, and I think they have another level of reach. I think you're right. Like, Aiden is, like, maybe the most, like – if he was on the Lakers or the Knicks, he's like the most slept on like second year guy who's putting up 20 and 10 every night. Um, and I think people underrate him because he's not Luka Doncic. And I, but I mean, you can see why he went number one. I mean, he is such a stud offensively. His three looks very fluid. Um, this is a guy who could be, you know, on a, on a good team, what, like a all NBA caliber player you know I, I mean I think as a five man definitely he's got to improve in my opinion in, in pick and roll D he's not quite Embiid in the sense that like he might be a better off I, I think I said this to you the other day like he might be a better offensive player than Joel Embiid as crazy as that sounds because a lot of the things that he does are much more efficient on offense it's not that he's maybe a better shooter or a better player but like Embiid takes some tough shots. Embiid, like, the ball dies in his hands a bunch. Like, he, he wants to not really be a screen-and-roll guy. And, like, if you have Aiton buying into those particular things with a guy like Devin Booker and Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson as two shooters, and then, you know, you can play Aaron Baines some whenever he comes back. And then, you know, you have Ricky Rubio, who's not a shooter, but also is a, a guy that really keys their offense. And then you have Dario Saric, who does a little bit of everything, like – there's a lot to like. I, I really do feel that way about this team. And, and it's interesting because it would have been incredibly easy. And maybe we didn't give enough credit to professionals, Zan. Like, I, I'll admit this. It would have been incredibly easy for Phoenix to come in and be like, hey, we're five and a half or six games back or whatever. Because they, they had 26 wins when they came into the bubble, right? And Memphis had 32, I think. 
And it could have been just really easy for them to be like, let's just mail it in. Let's play our young guys. Like, let's see what we got. And instead, like, they came out and they were like, we're going to play this roster and see what we get from this group of guys that showed up, that took the time to quarantine. And I, and I appreciate it. I, I think, like, a team like Phoenix deserves credit because everybody said, and everybody being, like, the two of us, they're like, the NBA just made these rules to get Zion Williamson in. So, like, who the hell cares about, you know, the Nets or the Wizards or the Suns or the Kings? And, like, they deserve credit for coming in and being like, all right, well, you guys didn't care about us. Like, we're going to come beat the Clippers. Like, we, we're going we're gonna to mess up Western Conference seeding by winning games. And I think that's awesome. I think right. that's exactly what you wanted if you were the NBA. Yeah, and with Phoenix, it kind of reminds me because, like, they're such a punching bag as an organization. And, <laughs> they are. Everyone they are. It's all over. But it kind of reminds me of the Clippers. Like, look, and I hear that about the Knicks all the time. Knicks, you can't win with Dolan. You know, the Suns can't win with Sarver. Clippers couldn't win with Sterling. But it's like, hey, then you hit on your lottery pick. You get Blake Griffin. Um, and then suddenly things are looking up. And then, you know, it's enough to bring in Chris Paul. And, and then suddenly you're a playoff team. And, like, maybe that's Phoenix. Like, maybe, you know, Booker worked out, obviously. And, like, if Aiton's, like, an all-star, you have two guys like that. And I kind of wonder your take on this defensive issue because, like, the rep on both of them is they're not good defenders. You could say the same about Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota, of course. And it's, like, how big of an Achilles heel is that? Like, can one bad defender really drag your team down that much? And I, I look at, like, Boston you know, when they had Isaiah Thomas, maybe one of the worst defenders in the league, I looked it up, like their defense that year was top five. So how can they overcome one bad defender, but Phoenix is somehow perpetually hamstrung by Devin Booker being a bad defender? Well, I do want to say, I don't know that I, I can't think off the top of my head what Devin Book or what uh, Isaiah Thomas's numbers were that year in Boston that he was so good offensively. But that team was obviously built different. They had some tremendous team defenders. And right now, you know, Mikel Bridges is quite a good defender. Cam Johnson is not great. Rubio is pretty good. DeAndre Ayton is, is not good. You sort of – I had this argument with somebody yesterday because they were talking about, like, what's, what's my opinion of Devin Booker as an NBA player? And I, I said, like, you know, top 25 for sure. I don't know how much worse I think he is than Brad Beal, but both those guys are kind of in the same boat where – to really get into the top, like, hey, this is third team all NBA, like, you have to at least try defensively. And Beal, there are times, you know, as a Wizards fan, I will attest, like, there are times Beal gets upset and he guards, like, he tries. I haven't really seen that from Devin Booker. And here, here's just a number that was pulled off Twitter from uh, Ben Doucette, who's a good account to follow. But he was saying that, that Booker was 237 out of 250 in qualified players for 538's Raptor metric on defense. And then bottom 50 in defense, real plus minus. And then he said, so like his thing was, Devin Booker ranks 245th out of 250 in qualified players in Raptor defensive metric. He ranks 430th out of 447 in ESPN's defensive real plus minus metric. And the Suns are 11 points better per 100 on defense when he sits. And the guy said like, hey, that's five straight years of this. Like maybe that's who he is. I don't buy that. And I said that I think you can help those guys out by scheming better. Get a rim protector figure out a way to make Aiton much more playable in the style of game that he's going to be in. Because here's the thing, like, he's got to be able to protect the rim. Like, you need guys to help somebody like Devin Booker so he can just be mediocre, Zan. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just have multiple right. like that's defenders. What I, that's what I understand about, the, you know, Devin Booker or Zach Levine or, or Andrew Wiggins. I'm like, I don't know why they're bad defenders. Like, they're not, like yeah. – 
Isaiah Thomas, you get it. He's like five two. Like even Steve Nash, you know, like some six foot white guy, like he's not going to hang on defense. But these guys, like, it's not like Booker has good, good size for a shooting guard. I don't think he's super athletic, but he's average, right? He's, I mean, and he's, he's, he's pretty long. He's a good enough athlete. Like he's not an amazing athlete, but like Ricky Rubio is right. not a great athlete and he's quite a good defender. Right. So why, why can he be so bad? I don't understand that. Well, Especially with Wiggins too. I'm like, yeah, he should be, he should be a good defender. Well, here's one of the things, right, that I always – we kind of classified guys like this when I was recruiting at the college level. Like, you'd watch a guy play, and he was either a bad defender or a no-effort defender. And they're both negatives, right? But in the case with, like, Andrew Wiggins, like, when you saw him in, at Kansas, like, there were flashes where you were like, oh, my God, like, this guy could be an, an elite, elite defender. But, like, Devin Booker is a lot of, like, a no-effort defender. Same with, like, Kyrie Irving. He's a similar guy in this regard where – they just die on ball screens. Like they're not working their ass off to get back. And it's like, so with a guy like Booker, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to make like a weird comparison because they're not similar as, as at all as players. And, and Kyle Lowry himself is, is much more feisty, but like when Kyle committed himself and decided I'm going to get into shape and I'm going to be an absolute terror on both sides of the ball. It was like a few years ago in Toronto and there was a drastic jump in his game. Like, I think we all knew Kyle Lowry was talented and now he's probably put himself and this is going to be insane to say, but like, a couple more good years and like you're probably talking about Kyle Lowry as like a very very fringy Hall of Famer I don't think he'll get in but like that's the jump that you can take and now Devin Booker is far more talented than Kyle Lowry so if he commits himself to his body commits himself to staying in shape and commits himself to really just working his ass off there's no reason he can't be an average defender with his tools and I think like that's a conversation somebody needs to have with Devin Booker because now you can say this to him right you used to be able to listen to Devin Booker and John Wall did the same thing in DC for a while where it was like, you have to do so much on offense. You can't focus defensively, right? Like you just have, you have to have the ball all the time. This is a James Harden thing too. Who's actually been pretty good defensively in the bubble. But like, you got to tell Devin Booker, like we got other guys like Deandre Aiden can get you 30. Like, you know, Miguel Bridges, Cam Johnson, they can make some shots. Dario Sarge can make some shots. He can create for others. Like we got other guys. You don't have to use this as a crutch anymore. You don't. You just don't. Like, that's, and I think that's, that's a huge like deal. LeBron, LeBron lover's favorite argument too is like when he plays passing on defense. Oh, he's too tired. Um, I I want to float this theory by you because I tend to agree with you. Like, look, I, I remember hearing, and I maybe agreed with it. Like, the Nuggets are never going to be good defensively because of Jokic. You know, he's too slow, too sluggish. And then Malone comes in and helps their defensive scheme, and they're and they're pretty good defensively. Um, I've told you this before. I don't know if you agree. I think the NFL coaching matters a lot more offensively. Like a great offensive coach can, can milk a pretty good performance. Like say you're Gary Kubiak, like you can get a above average performance out of below average talent. Correct. And I don't think, I don't think that's true on defense. I think defense is a lot more talent based. I think scheme, Um, I think scheme matters just to piggyback this for a second. I think scheme matters depending on who you play at quarterback. But a large portion of your like, hey, if I have Aaron Donald or I have J.J. Watt or I have Von Miller, like you certainly can do a whole lot less in terms of your like defensive and li- like your defensive line and right. linebacker skills. It could work sure. a lot. Of, but I would. But my argument was going to be my theory. Let's say because I don't really know. You might know. Um, the NBA is almost the, become the opposite, where it's like I tend to think a good defensive coach, like a Clifford or whoever can make your defense pretty good 
you know, even with average talent. I know Orlando has good defensive talent. I think, I think on a night-to-night basis, sure. And I also think in a normal season that's 82 games, you don't really do all that much different. You stick to your principles. This is how you guard. And you might guard, you know, you might guard Devin Booker differently in pick and rolls. You might guard Steph Curry differently in pick and rolls. But because you don't have enough time to really, like, out-scheme guys until the playoffs, it doesn't really happen. So if you're just a very good fundamental defensive coach with the ability to adjust, like, and tweak little things and, and really get your players to buy in, yeah, you can be really good defensively in the regular season. That, that, that's a very good thought. Right. Right, because like I, you know, everyone hates Jim Boylan on Chicago, and he's a terrible coach, and the players hate him. He improved their defense by like a good mark this past with, season with a I team think. full of not so good defenders too. Like Chris Dunn right. is amazing, <laughs> but and I just don't know offensively. I don't know who the most brilliant offensive coach in the league is. I just don't know how much you could really do to make an average offensive player good. Maybe you could like improve it on the margin, but. And, and you I can't and teach I, somebody to be Devin Booker offensively. No, and I think, Zan, the it's funny we're talking about this because this is such a higher, like, more of a, I would say, like, commentary on the league as a whole. But it, it's very interesting, like, Devin Booker's always going to be a max guy. But, like, let's I'll use Chris Dunn for an example. Like, he's a tremendous defender. Like, just an unbelievable defender at, at the perimeter. Like, he had an amazing year. He'll probably get some all-defensive team votes, should probably be second team. And, like, if you put them on the open market together, Devin Booker is getting maxed immediately. And Chris Dunn is, I mean, like, is he getting a mid-level? Like, he might. Like, the league doesn't value elite defenders who don't have something else to offer off the ball, or on the other side of the ball like they do elite scores. Like, if you're an elite scorer, you just get paid, dude. Like, that's how it works. So the league clearly believes what you think, Zan, that, like, you know, let's just use – trying to think of a good example of this. Like, but like okay. Chris Dunn's a good example because like you're right. Like Chris Dunn might not be a starter, even though he's one of the best defensive. It's, it's the same. The it's like because the Tony. It's like the Tony Allen thing for years, where it was like he was signing like minimum deals, and he was very clearly the best perimeter defender in the NBA. And it's like that would never happen with the best perimeter score. And I think it's because scoring is much more difficult. Like it just is. And guys that can right. get you buckets all the time, like. They just, those dudes don't exist, right? You can't tell Chris Dunn, shoot it 40 times a game and like you're going to be in the game. It's, it's just not feasible, right? But you can right. tell well, Devin I Booker, only, I, I shoot it 40 a game and you can win that game. I always use the example like, let's say Steph Curry's the best shooter in the NBA, right? That, that's fair to say. Duncan Robinson. Um, no, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So well, let's say Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson's a great shooter. She's 40% from three. 44%. <laughs> Who's a bad three-point shooter like a Michael Kidd Goldcraft, let's say? He can't hit a three. Ben Simmons. Um, that, is, that, that is such a big difference, like 40% versus 0%. Yeah. Um, and I think defensively, like, hey, Michael Kidd Goldcraft is a good defender compared to Duncan Robinson. He's not holding guys to 0% from three. Yep. You know, and like a bad defender is not allowing somebody to hit 40% from three. Like the difference yeah. is probably you know, 5% maybe, I would think, you know, if you're being guarded by a good defender versus a bad defender. Um, and so, like, your offensive talent, like, the disparity, I think, is, is wider. That's my guess. I don't know. Um, but I think, like, the average defender versus a great defender, the, the point difference is not going to be as big as, like, a great offensive player versus a great average offensive player. I got to be honest with you, like all this talk about numbers, like it gets me really excited because 
now that like all these sports are back, Zan, like Bet Online has so much action going on, and they're actually our exclusive partners. And so now that sports are on their way back, we've got baseball, we've got basketball, we've got UFC, boxing, NASCAR, soccer, PGA Championship this weekend, or US Open. I'm not sure which one it is in golf, but there's a major. And so, you know, just like I do, Zan, that Bet Online has all the best odds and lines for upcoming games and matches. So they also have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day if you really need to degen it off. But uh, you can also <laughs> play – I'm serious. You can play poker. You can play casino games on there. And they have tons of really good props. So you can visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device and join now and receive a welcome bonus and start playing. And if you go to Bet Online, don't forget the promo code PODCAST1, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E for a sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sports book experts. And it really is. It's an well, amazing time of year for gambling. It really, really is. Well, and also you wonder like how what percentage of these analytic gurus, like the Daryl Morey types, say, Hey, look, I could you know, it's a crowded field. Maybe I could make money, you know, being the fifth guy in the Houston analytics department, or can I make money figuring out who's gonna win the game and bet, you know, and bet online? And maybe it's more lucrative. Um, it's probably, it, about it's, it's probably not just yet. It might be, it might be. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> maybe not the best thing to say to our, about our advertisers, but I, uh, the other thing about the offensive defensive numbers I was thinking about too, is like one of the reasons I value offense maybe more and maybe offense is more impactful. Like take a look at your guy, James Harden. He's going to have the ball every time basically. Right. Or at least, you know, a third of the time, 50% of the time. And so he's going to show his value almost every possession. Defensively, let's say he's a let's we can take a bad defender. I don't, I, you know, whoever, I, even Isaiah Thomas, like he, he's not going to be guarding the ball fifty percent of the time or guarding the shooter fifty percent of the time. You know, like you could hide him, especially maybe not Isaiah Thomas, but you could hide James Harden on guys who don't have the ball very often, and he might be the primary defender on the shot. 20% of the time? I don't know, right? I mean, he's not going to play a role in the same way that he does offensively every single time. No, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. Like, I, I, and I think, like, that's a good point in all of this when you talk about offense and defense. And then that's the other thing. Like, when you have guys like James Harden, and I mean, he deserves a ton of credit. Like, I obviously give him tons of credit every, every show, but like, they play the Bucks on Sunday night, primetime, and it's a, it's a pretty hard fought game. They're playing without Eric Gordon, the Bucks are without Eric Bledsoe. And I thought that hurt the Bucks a lot more. It's ironic. We're talking offense defense, but Bucks really needed a better perimeter defender uh, to really cut Houston's penetration. But like Harden guarded Giannis on some possessions late in the game, like in the final minute and a half and, and did a good job, like held his ground, like forced him to make some, like pick up the ball and like make some bad passes. And like, when you have that happen, this was always my argument with Steph Curry back in like 2015 is like, all you have to do is be neutral as a defender if you're as good offensively as these guys are. And if you happen to be better, if you're Giannis and you're like the best defender in the NBA along with maybe the best offensive player in the NBA, then like that's obviously insanity. But like if you're just – you just got to be neutral. And that's what Devin Booker just like to me – like how much do you care, right? Like you're making a ton of money. Like you're the face of the franchise. But like do you really want to win titles? And I, I'm not trying to put words in Devin Booker's mouth here. I'm not trying to challenge him at all. I'm just saying like – either you're the worst defender and you don't care about it or like it's fixable. That's just the bottom line. These guys are too good. Like Devin Booker's right. mid twenties. Well, also- He's not Carmelo Anthony or Jamal Crawford where like they can't open their hips anymore. Like that's not the way this works, you know? Well, and also I, it, 
I would imagine that Booker should care about his defense, regardless of whether he cares about winning. Maybe he looks at Phoenix and says, we're an eight seed at best. Um, but, you know, the media and fans have become so savvy now that they always are going to flash these defensive numbers in his face. And it's going to prevent him from making all NBA teams. It's going to maybe, yeah. it's not going to prevent him from being a Mac, but it is going to prevent him from, you know, huge accolades. And it's going to be like a stain on his reputation. So I think Harden, that partly inspired Harden, I think, to play a little bit better on defense. I, where he's I, like, I agree this with is that. going to keep me from MVP. I have to try a little harder. I, and, you know, I think, too, there were all the videos about, like, his lack of effort on D and, like, how often he got lost off the ball. And then, you know, pretty quickly after that surfaced, I can't remember if it was 15 or 16, but – and don't get me wrong, he still has some possessions. Everybody does. Like, Russ has a bunch of possessions like this, too, where they're just, like, not locked in, right? And, and, and part of it's, like, with Houston, they just – it plays so freaking fast, and it's like there's so many possessions. Like, like Robert Covington's locked in on defense every possession, and then on offense, sometimes it looks like he has no idea what he's doing. You know, and I think it's like with Harden, it, it, it's fewer than it, it's fewer and far between than it was, where it was just like this dude is miserable every possession. Like now, you know, he's pretty good on the ball defender. He's improved enough off the ball that he's not like an absolute like disgusting net negative. And that's where I think you need to be if you're going to that, – that's the same thing. Like you mentioned this with LeBron, and I do want to talk about the Lakers for a quick second, but like like LeBron's fans did used to do that, and so did Kobe's when neither one of these guys were like great defenders anymore, and they just wanted to like yell about Dwayne Wade not getting back on defense. And it's like LeBron and Kobe are the same deal. Like when they wanted to try, you were like, oh my God, they really can defend. And we're seeing that from LeBron now in the playoffs, like, I guess not the playoffs yet, but in the bubble, like LeBron has clearly been a little bit more limited offensively than we've seen from him. And I think it's taken him some time to ramp up. And he's, I I definitely do feel like he has another gear to get to, but he's been quite good defensively in the games that they've played. And it's, it's nice to see him actually saying like, you know what? AD's got me like I get him the ball and, and he'll give me 42 and we'll win big right. games and we'll clinch the one seed and I'll defend and I'll give I'll carry my load on that end as well and it's been nice to see from the Lakers I think and I think right. like I, said, I think, I think, it's, I think it a is little that. bit I think LeBron had a little bit of that humble pie too from last season the yep. Lakers didn't play well He'd, he didn't play that well defensively and he got some flack for it for the first time and I think that's probably something that had been nagging the team actually like i thought he played pretty poorly defensively in cleveland for a few years i mean for like the Um, last like like, the last like three years in like after they won the title like he was pretty bad defensively yeah and just like habits wise right yeah and then focus he was late he was lazy he was lazy defensively and then some of it was really that he once they got once Kyrie was gone like they they really didn't have a ton of other options. I, I will say That's, that. He did have to carry like an unbelievable load. Yeah. Um, so uh, to put a button on this thing, like Phoenix has done really well. Indiana's done really well. Do you think real a mirage? Let's say Phoenix gets to the ninth seed and plays Memphis or Portland. Do you think they have a real chance of, of getting that eighth seed? Oh, it's interesting. I don't think they're going to get there. I mean, they're still, what are they right now? They are, they're three games back of Memphis and they've got, they've got five games to go. I thought. Yeah. They and there's to, a lot of teams in the mix, you know? Yeah. I mean, here, let's just talk about that right now. So like Sacramento's three and a half back. They're done. Pelicans are two and a half back. We thought they were done they're, They are sort of trying. Zion was pretty good the other night. San Antonio, two games back had a chance, almost beat Philly, which would have been a huge win for them in a night where the Grizzlies lost. Shake Milton, your guy, huge shot, six seconds left. Philly avoids another fourth quarter collapse. And then 
Portland beats Houston Tuesday night, they're a game and a half back of Memphis. I, I mean, well, they only have to get to the. You're saying the eighth seed. They only have no, to no, get no, to the. No, no, but I'm just saying in general, like there's a chance. I, I, I'm I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to like plant my flag in the ground and say this. Like, there's a chance Memphis doesn't get to play in the playing game, which we didn't think was a possibility. No, I agree. Memphis is falling apart. They just lost Jaron Jackson. Oh yeah, um, I, I totally forgot about that torn meniscus. Right, that sucks. He was playing well too. Yeah, and I, when I watch Memphis against Portland, like my my immediate thought is like, this is just such a young team. Like all their guys are like under twenty five almost. It feels like they're a little out of control. Yeah, I would I agree with that. I think that not to be a hater on your guy Taylor Jenkins, like I think they're one of the worst teams in the bubble, talent wise. Like they're just not ready yet. Um, I mean, they were one of the worst and, teams in the West, and they just. Play, they, you know, played above expectation all year. Like not not in the sense that like they've outplayed their their advanced stats because they have a bit of they've outplayed their advanced stats like a little bit. But like they they've been quite good and they've played quite hard. And like I said, now they've you know you're, you're talking about like this is the rest of their schedule. Okay, like you tell me where there's a win in here. So they, they they've lost three straight. They lose at Portland. They lose to San Antonio. I mean at Portland, whatever. And they lose to New Orleans. Okay, so three teams that are chasing them. They give up three games in the standings. Now they've got Utah, Oklahoma City, Toronto, Boston, and Milwaukee. Like, they might go 0-8. But well, Milwaukee might like, – I think that we, we talked about how hard teams are trying. Milwaukee Milwaukee's pulled not. off the gas in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. The Lakers are going to pull off the gas. I, I'm going to make a prediction right now. If, if New Orleans wins, loses another game, I think they're shutting down Zion. Like, they just, like they're handling him with such kid gloves, and they, I, I worry about that. It, it makes me and so angry. That they played him as many minutes as they did against Memphis. Like they thought that Memphis game was so much more important than a Utah game when they could have put him back in down two with six seconds left. It's like if you're really trying, like why? The, like what are you doing? You know. And Memphis, by the or and New Orleans, by the way. Here's the rest of their schedule: Sacramento, Washington, San Antonio, Sacramento, Orlando. So like if you win that Utah game, like you probably get into this playing game. If not, get the eight seed outright. Yeah, it needs to be Portland and New Orleans. That's what I'd like to see. I don't know if it'll happen. Um, one good thing about Memphis, though, I, I do like Brandon Clark. I don't know how you feel. Like He's good. I, he got some flack because he was overaged or whatever, but you know, he's just good energy. You know, he, a little shades is high on in there. I mean, you know, just like an athletic guy, a little undersized to be a big guy, but I think he'll ultimately be a really good fit with them, with Jackson. You, you, you always do like your bargain basement like deal on Reddit. Like I actually like, like we talked about John Conchar, but I, I also, I really like the Anthony Melton. He hasn't played a ton for yeah. them, but like I, he does a little bit of everything as kind of like a backup guard. Like he can be, he can play point. Like he can play a little bit of two as like a combo. Like there's enough wiggle there to get to the rim and score. Like I, I kind of like their bench. I really do. But like you said, they're just, yeah, and, and we haven't seen Justice Winslow. Like, they have a lot of young talent that I think is going to fit together. Yeah, who's the oldest? I mean, they have, Anthony, they have Anthony Tolliver, but then other than him, is Jonas Valanciunas the oldest guy on their roster? I mean, he's only yeah, 28. Yeah, they got rid of, they got rid of Crowder and Iguodala. I mean, even Dylan Brooks is probably, what, like 25 now? I don't know. Yeah, but, Kyle Anderson's uh, only 26. I mean, this team is really young. And again, this is another team like Phoenix where – the blueprints there, like you can see it. I think they need to change the way they play a little bit. I think there's too much Jonas Valanciunas, but like them getting smacked around in the bubble might not be the worst thing for them because y- you see, like if you bring intensity on like a random December night, like there's a good chance like you can kind of ambush a team, right? Because like maybe they're not ready to go. Maybe you're at home. Kind of saw this, and I mentioned this with why I thought Russ was such a good addition to Houston because like you need a guy that brings energy. 
But, like, I think Memphis is starting to see, like, oh, shit, like, when you start to play against teams, like, that are vets and they're, they want to make the playoffs and, like, for them it matters. Like, Zan, you kind of pointed this out a little bit. Like, teams need to be ready to win. You have to experience that to know what you need to come out and play. And, obviously, this is a very odd situation for them. But, like, they just haven't looked ready, you know? They just really haven't. And, like, you, I, I think yeah. just, this and, is and a good like, experience, I think. Yeah, and, and, like, the numbers kind of suggest that this might happen, and it's just, like, regression, like, slapped them in the face really quickly. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I, I'm encouraged long-term. I mean, like, look, like, those guys are so young. I mean, yeah. and about Valanciunas, I think you're right. Like, I think Jaron Jackson ultimately is going to be, like, their stretch five, and then you claim with Brandon Clark for, like, energy inside. I think it's all going to work. I, I would predict, like, Sacramento this year, like, they're going to have a backslide next year a little bit. Uh, but then ultimately get their rhythm so, and so, get a playoff factor in a few years. So let me ask you this. Portland's one and a half back, San Antonio two back, New Orleans two and a half back, Phoenix three back. And that's of the eighth seed. So obviously only one of those teams gets the ninth seed if Memphis finds some wins. You want to see Portland and New Orleans. I agree with that. That would be – Yeah, they're the most entertaining too. And, and Gary Trent, you know, is finally getting a lot of press and positive reports. And, well, you no, know, Trevor guy, Ariza, there's, there, there's nobody blocking him playing either. Yeah, and he, and he should be maybe a shooting guard or whatever, and there's no room for him, but he, he tries hard on defense. He's a reliable shooter. Like, this is a guy who is a legitimate, like, I think, starter in the NBA. And so they're finally, like, using him um, and then using less of their bad guys. They still don't quite fit, you know? Yeah, it's a weird. I, it's weird. It's, it's a shame they can't find, like, one, you know, like, maybe it would have been Ariza. Like, you know, because Carmelo's been hitting shots, but Carmelo's still a negative. He's been quite. Um, he's been. He's been quite good in the bubble so far. I mean, he right. really, he, he really has. So much, like, like, there's all these talk about like Carmelo, you know, proving the haters wrong. I'm like, it's so crazy. That's still like a very net negative it's, player. It's, it's so. That, listen, Zan, I am all for it. Like, I love Carmelo Anthony. I think he's a very. I mean, for years he was one of the most fun guys to watch in the NBA, especially offensively. But like this whole like. I, I respect Carmelo Anthony for doing something that I didn't think he could do. I didn't think that he could be a spot up jump shooter. And he takes some, you know, he still takes some elbow jumpers from time to time. He still wants to like jab with it every now and again. But like, in terms of like buy in, like I've, I've told you this before, like Damian Lillard is like the best leader in the NBA. Like it's ridiculous. The culture they have there, like I heard it from Evan Turner, like you, you go there and you buy in. And, and I give Carmelo Anthony a future Hall of Famer, you know, 25,000 point score or whatever so much credit in the world to be like you know what whatever you guys need me to do and and like you said like it's not like he's elite at it but like it's an unbelievable no, thing he, to watch a guy like him fall in line it, it's good to see it's, well, it's, it, it probably helps. i mean like i mean he is he it, not like it's shades of to me paul pierce in, in washington you know, remember when he hit that big shot in the playoffs yeah i do um and so he's blending in. This is a role that seems like it should have worked in Oklahoma City, should have worked in yeah. Houston, you know, being like a complimentary score. And he, I mean, he wasn't ready to do it. He really wasn't. Right. But he's, is he doing it now? I mean, he still likes taking the big shots. Like Paul Pierce in Washington was sort of like the guy who's like, hey, I'm not what I was, but I'm still the man to take the clutch shot. So I'm like, that scares me a little bit. That he did make a big shot against Atlanta, too. I don't know if you remember this, right after the right after the buzzer expired. He made a corner three yes, by the game. Did, yeah. But yeah. Oh, man. And, and you want to have that confidence, and they buy into him. Although I do disagree with this idea. Like I think you're right. Like Lillard gives him a lot of respect. 
And I think that's good. It's like that sort of confidence building, you know, for a guy who maybe was worried he'd be out of the league. Although I don't agree with the idea of like Lillard after the game is like, obviously Carmelo is doing well. He's a Hall of Famer. I'm like, just because you're a Hall of Famer doesn't mean that you're still a good player at age 36. You know, oh, it's uh, not like a hundred percent. And and with their defensive deficiencies, like it's even crazier to have Carmelo playing the minutes that he's playing. But like I said, like yeah, it's just know, they're so thin. I, I mean, Nurkic has been so good, by the way. Like I, I feel like. Yeah. He hasn't gotten a ton of credit. And the other team that I feel like we, we just haven't talked enough about is Toronto, and we're going to run out of time for this one because we're not going to go a full hour. But, like, like well, Nurkic... Can I say one thing about Nurkic that I like? It's, there's so many big guys in the NBA who are, like, seven feet tall, and they're athletic, and they make the NBA. And they, they don't seem to really care about basketball or even, like, have a feel for the game at all. Are you talking so specifically like Nurkic, about Hassan Whiteside right now? Like, is that who's in your mind? But, like, Nurkic is just one of those guys who's, like, giant dude who's like maybe it's a european thing or whatever but it's like he just has such a good feel he has such a good skill set he has a good touch and he's a good passer i mean like i just and for him to be this good coming back from injury is really impressive i thought he would play like 15 20 minutes a night no that guy is carrying a load defensively for sure i mean like I, i've been really really impressed like he's playing about 31 minutes a night, like shooting 50% from the field, making free throws, you know, averaging 12 rebounds a game. Like, and, and Whiteside has also been very good too, by the way, in, in 30 minutes. Like they, they, they've done a really yeah, good job. Yeah, I don't like, mind Whiteside. No. It's, I, like, it's like the team that doesn't fit because it's like your two best players are like lead guards. And then and both the of next them two are, best players are the guys. We, we talked a lot about Portland, I think, at the beginning of the year. And like if Portland was able to make a deal for like Gallinari or, you know, and maybe Gary Trent, he, he's not going to be as good as Gallo. Like there are a lot of deficiencies in Gary Trent's game right now, but he's 21 years old. Like I think there's a lot to like. And I agree with you. Like I, I think that was a very good call. But I do wonder with Portland, like, I just don't know like what you do because you can watch them and you can really talk yourself into them being one of the best teams in the league. Like I'm not saying I think they're as good as the Clippers or the Bucks or the Lakers, but like could they win a seven game series at full strength? I, it's not inconceivable. It's not. Well, they could get hot, and you wonder like they're not great players, but Rodney Hood's been out, and Ariza, who's old, is out. But like even like competent guys like that would have really helped. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, and they, they finally like Zach that, That's like the Achilles heel of the team is your guy, Zach Collins, frankly, who's like, you know, should be playing 15 minutes off the bench. Yeah, like he's, an playing, big. And he's playing 30 minutes he's, a game. Yeah, yeah and, and if you're James Harden and you're going up against Portland and you see Zach Collins at power forward and Nurkic at center, it's just like it's too easy. I know Nurkic is a good defender inside, but like their bigs are just too clunky for the modern NBA. You can't play yeah. two guys like that. Like it's, it is um, weird, right? Like they should just be playing Nurkic and then Whiteside when Nurkic is out. And like, you can play them together a little bit because of Nurkic's feel, but like it's a lot of minutes to be given. I mean, like, let's just assume, you know, what is it? 48, what's 48 times five. Seriously. Jeez, what is that? That's <laughs> it's 48 like, times it's 240, five. right? 240. Oh, so you're saying how many total minutes are there? In yeah. The game? Yeah. Just because they're giving, yeah, I think you're right. Two forty. Yeah, they're giving like ninety three minutes a game to Collins, Whiteside, and Nurkic, and like that's probably too many, right? Like that that's probably a little bit much. And then on top of that, they're also giving an additional thirty three minutes a game to Carmelo Anthony. And like to me, like this is what I was talking about earlier with Phoenix. Like 
is this the best style for the players you have right now? Probably, right? It probably is. But if you're looking towards the future, if you're Terry Stotts and you're like, we've been there, like we made the conference finals, you know, whatever. What's a way to actually get better than that? Like, and, and they never thought they were going to have to play Carmelo anyway. They had a bunch of injuries, whatever, and all right. that stuff. But like, was it time to move off Zach Collins a year ago when he right. had a real trade value? It's, it's, that, it's that Gary Harris thing. Like they missed the boat on trading Zach Collins. Yeah. And Portland fans love Zach Collins. I, I still like Zach Collins. Boring. I just want to say, I still like Zach Collins. I do. As what though? Is he a starter? I don't, I don't see it. Maybe yeah. on a great team, he could be a starter. Um, he does a lot of little things. He does. Like, I could see him things. starting as, like, the fifth guy on Golden State or something like that. Um, right now, he but, just fouls too much. It's crazy. He's yeah. just, like, he's so over-anxious. Yeah, he fouled, he's fouled a ton in college. I mean, like, he's just <laughs> – whatever it is. And I think guys, like – I'm not even joking. I think players look at him and say, this guy looks like somebody I'm going to attack. And they do. And because of that, he gets fouled. Um, Cause he just looks like a friggin' twerp. You know what I mean? Like, he does look, he looks he like d- a frat villain. He does look a bit like a twerp. I, I can get on board with that. He does look a little bit like that. Um, and but I'm excited. We got another games going on right now. Where there's games in the daytime, which I love too. Yeah. It's Especially amazing. If you're a procrastinator at work. You get to watch games during the day. Um, and you That's get like early, you but, get like early NBA TV replays too. Like you wake up at like seven o'clock in the morning, and there's like an NBA TV replay if you didn't watch the late game or something, which is also great. Like it's very, very good. Yeah. And, uh, um, one thing, real quick, I want to go thirty seconds on this. LeBron James, they clinched the one seed, the Lakers. I've been very pro LeBron. It's been very, it's been an odd position for me to be in. But his comments that like nobody believed in them, like I agree. I think there were a lot of people that didn't think they were going to get the one seed, but like, what is he talking about? He plays with like maybe the best player in the NBA now. Honestly, Anthony Davis is ridiculous. Like, no, I kind of agreed with him. You know, oh I my god, he, he's just making himself the underdog. Get out of here! Come on. No, I'm telling you something. Like, I, I see, you know, the Lakers finished one, and so many times I hear comments like, "Oh no, way. of course they had LeBron and Anthony Davis." Like statistically they were projected to finish fifth in the West and Toronto. I see that all the time with Toronto people being like, obviously they're going to be a top three team. I'm like, no one was saying that. At the yeah. Time. Nobody, at the, I, you know, like I won't walk like, back they, Toronto. They, like that was, they were too good. Did you have, certainly a lot of people liked the Lakers, but the people who thought the Lakers were going to win the West were considered like dumb fans. Definitely. You know? Definitely. Like, I, I think like we talked about the Lakers being like third or fourth or fifth, like, if everything went well, they could win 50 games because obviously they, they have a lot of talent, but they're not deep. But I did not think the Lakers are going to be the one seed. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that. But I also didn't. And, and number one seed with, like, a bullet. Like, they clinched the number one seed already. But, like but Zan, but Zan, come on. Like, there aren't people out here. Like, LeBron acts like people are, like, rooting for his downfall. And there are some media members. Yeah, you. you. Before the last month. I don't know who converted to <laughs> I just think he's pretty impressive. Well, to be it's like a Tom like, Brady. Remember, Tom Brady would say that all the time about the Patriots. Like no one, like they're nobody believed in us. Yeah, when I when this quote happened, uh, I don't remember if it was Tuesday or Monday. I'm, I'm thinking it was Tuesday because they won on Monday night. But the text I received was like, "LeBron can now join like the New England Patriots and like Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers in the like we've made ourselves an underdog when we're like the one seed and we've been just like wacky teams yeah. all year." I love it. I really do. Uh, here's my official stance. The bubble, 
let's do it every year, Zan. Let's just have a season be like four months long and basketball all day, every day. It's um, it's awesome. It's t- it's great. Kudos well, to the NBA I, I for was, figuring I it out. Extended. I was going to send it further. Like maybe this sounds elitist, but like maybe the life needs more bubbles. Like when you like get a little neighborhood, like to have a bubble and like, you know, no. certain restaurants you go to and you know, no one gets sick. Everyone, you know, everyone's healthy. If like Corona got really bad, it became like the plague. I could see bubble cities coming into fashion. Yeah. I don't know. I can't, I can't advocate bubble lives for that. But, and I, and also like you said, like bubble life, Actors and actresses do it and they get paid a ton of money, but it's hard to tell NBA players like move your family, live in a bubble. You can't see your kids like that's tough. But for this, it's weird. They might do a bubble next year from what I've heard. I'll try to dig in some more information on that when we talk again, either Saturday or Sunday. But like, it's 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 working right now. Baseball looks like a bunch of clowns, but the NHL and the NBA, they look great, like great testing. They're taking it seriously. And I'm, we love I, it. I, and I, that's why yeah. we wanted to do two. That's why we did two episodes this week because we're just loving basketball right now. Hopefully, no bad injuries, no bad storylines, no one gets sick. But um, a plus job of the NBA so far. I think the next couple of weeks are going to lose a little momentum because I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of shutting it down. But and and then once um, you once you go into playoff series, it obviously slows down anyway, just because it's the same teams playing each other and like you don't have the kind of like fodder where they can add extra games during the day and stuff. So like obviously it's going to slow way down and it's going to be, it's probably going to feel a little bit longer, but in terms of being like three and four games in for teams, like it's been a, in, in my opinion, like just a home run. Absolutely. All right. But we'll be back next week. Uh, email the show, Xandercallison at gmail.com. And uh, Zan, like as always. Thanks for listening to the underdog sports NBA show with your host, Tyler Laurie and Xandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.